to forging of indignant Dreaming about a premiership cup We love our clubs but they never win Two flags in one hundred years That shit house if you think we'll be insightful Clever or just well researched We're here to say that's not the case We'll just go out and wing it We are two guys, one it is Wednesday, July the 18th. Welcome to Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL podcast. My name is Will Anderson. And my name is Charlie Clawson. And Two Guys, One Cup, the show that's been in its own hub since the conception of this uh, program. Uh, two years ago, we started hubbing in separate countries and then we started hubbing in separate states. So I feel like we're ahead of the game when it comes to football podcasts, Will. We have been self-isolating on this podcast for a very long time. In fact, there's only a handful of episodes of this show that we've ever done in the same space. So it does not really affect what we're doing. In the same way as the football season happening, more gets in the way of the conversations we want to have on this podcast rather than <laughs> than actually informs them or helps them in any way. And I've got to be honest with you, some of the excitement has already gone out of the season for me. Not because of the way the Bulldogs are playing. The Bulldogs are playing really well again, which is fantastic. But because, of course, the man who had brought the excitement back to the Gold Coast, Matt Rowell, has done his shoulder. Um, mm. As he said about, uh, you know, being in rehab for three months, he said, you know, you've got to, to quote my favourite movie, you've got to get busy living or you've got to get busy dying. <laughs> and so he's going to be sitting at home, Barely being able to lift the chorizo pasta up to his face with his strapped up shoulder. And so my thoughts are with Matty Rao. That is a good question. Who's going to be spreading the Vegemite on his Vita Wheats? I mean, this is a guy who's probably going to have to, like, it probably isn't a time for chorizo pasta. In fact, this is probably the double blow to Matty Rao. Because, yeah. yes, he has some extra time now to do back-to-back screenings of the extended mix of the Shawshank Redemption. But... This is a man who loves a bowl of chorizo pasta. And when it comes to high-calorie intake, chorizo pasta's got to be right up there. Vita wheats with Vegemite, that's fine. He'll be able to have as many of those as he wants in rehab. But is Matty Rao going to have to actually put away his favourite meal in the entire world for a little while? Yeah, he'd have to because he's not burning off those carbs. Uh, they're just going to it's gonna add to his waistline. They'll be doing skin folds on Matt Rowell, I imagine, throughout his rehab period. And chorizo pasta... Vita wheats, I would even would even argue, uh, don't have a lot of uh, nutrients in them. If you just if you're not burning them off, I mean that's just essentially it's a lot of salt and sugar and a bit of carb in that as well. And then you're spreading some Vegemite, which is high in sodium as well. It's just going to retain fluid around the body. He's going he may end up emulating his coach if he sticks to that diet while in rehab. Hang on, have the Gold Coast got two Stewie Jews playing for them now? Oh, I mean, he on, would. That's Matty Rowe. There's not a, I mean, there's not a dis, they're not dissimilar looking. Like if he put on a few extra kg, I reckon they could look like father and son. Oh, it's going to be no good for the Gold Coast if <laughs> suddenly, yeah, Matty Rowe comes back and he looks more like Brad Hardy. Well, I was going to say, like Brad Hardy was quite a, a, a lean footballer when he started his career. And then when he finished at Brisbane, he was quite chunkified. So maybe he's on the same trajectory. Actually, you know what? Rather than looking at it as a negative, I would like to see it as a positive. Because I would love the return. In fact, there's something that I feel, particularly in this COVID times, of the body shaming of players' physiques. I was watching the Essendon game, and Jake Stringer was playing an amazing game. But in those, you know, jumpers they wear these days, they are unforgiving, Charlie, it's fair to say. (laughs) And even if you put on, like, the 
mildest amount of weight. Like, and honestly, it looked like maybe Jake Stringer had put on like three or four kilos during lockdown. I'd be wrapped if I'd only put on three or four kilos <laughs> during lockdown. Uh, you know, but he's and he's dominating the game. He's playing really well. And the commentators were giving him a bit of a hard time about his weight. And I'm like, firstly, I'm not sure that's appropriate in these times. I think we shouldn't be body shaming footballers as much as we're body shaming anybody, um, you know, in general in society, but particularly in these times when you just never know the battles are, you know, that are going on in people's lives with these unusual life circumstances. But secondly, it reminded me how much I love an unfit looking footballer dominating. Like, I don't yeah. want less of it. I want more of it. I would mm. love if Matty Rao came back a bit bigger, but still just happened to be the best player in the entire competition. I think that would be great for the game if an unfit-looking bloke suddenly became the best player in the competition. Yeah, because it takes us back to grassroots footy. Because every country football team has that one bloke whose name is something like, they call him they call him Bricks or something like that. And he's a hefty dude and they just park him at full forward. Bricks doesn't chase, he doesn't tackle, no defense or anything like that. But occasionally he'll kick a bag. And that's what you come down. You come down to see Bricks kicking a, kicking a bag, just parked in the goal square. He doesn't even get off the ground when he flies for a mark. He just stands there, arms outstretched, and lets the ball fall into his lap. I think that this is why people love Tony Lockett so much. Yes. Tony Lockett was the greatest ever country footballer. He yes. was so good at being a country footballer that he was able to dominate at the AFL le level. And I would like to say... Like Samson and his beautiful locks that gave him strength. You know, the the trimmed down Tony Lockett, when Tony Lockett came back, you know, thin and fit, just wasn't the same footballer he was when he was like a big fella. So maybe mm. it would be great if, say, Stewie Jew got got Tony Lockett to come up to to, to do rehab with Matty Rao and just force-fed him chorizo pasta the whole time. Well, Jeremy McGovern is another player who's like a, he's got that country footballer physique and seems to play better when you allow him to play like a country footballer. Jack Stephen, when he came back last year after his layoff, remember that game against Frio when he was a bit tubby? But, you know, he won the game for us, kicked three goals, and it's like... It, it's kind of like uh, Dennis Rodman in The Last Dance. You've got to let Dennis be Dennis. There's certain footballers you just got to let be themselves. And if they're the kind of dudes who don't like doing, you know, uh, time trials, they're much better with a pack of Winnie Blues in their pocket. You know, let them have a smoke at halftime, maybe crack a VB after the game, then let them do it. If they're going to play well, let them do it. I think it makes them more relatable. Because at the moment, there's a bit of commentary from football fans where they don't have much sympathy for these high-paid AFL players who might have to, you know, go away for a few weeks and not see their families. I think that that's because these players seem so removed from the people watching the game now. You know, the people, the, mm. the dude who's a bit overweight, you know, with his beer in hand in the outer, eating a hot meat pie, he isn't seeing anyone out there who reflects him. We've talked about boy bands a lot on our podcast recently, but you need your <laughs> Joey Fatone. You need your relatable, you need your Niall Horan of every football team. You need one of those guys that that dude in the outer smoking a dart at halftime can go, yeah, that guy represents me. And then we wouldn't feel like these are high paid prima donnas. We'd feel like they were more relatable. Okay, well, who is the most, who's the most relatable Bulldogs player of all time? Like if you go back through the history of your club, is it like... I mean, Dougie Hawkins had a bit of that relatability, but he was also highly skilled, so that's sort of a bit of separation. Did you just have a player who just 
you know, the kind of guy who gets 150 games, and you're like, wow, really? He played 150 games? Not particularly highly skilled, not particularly noticeable, but, you know, relatable. And every man. I mean, you're pretty much describing 95% of the people who've ever played for the Bulldogs. <laughs> that is, that is, relatable is our brand. Man in the street <laughs> is our brand. Often played like they could have just got a man off the street in Footscray and put him in for 150 games. That is the essential DNA of the club. It is much harder to define anyone who's too fancy. Like if you look back at the Bulldogs and go, who is the person who doesn't seem like he's a man in the street as hard as to identify at the Bulldogs. We took that guy and we made him captain of our club. <laughs> we took the most, oh, if he can do it, I can do it. <laughs> That's what it feels like with Jaron Geary. I mean, he was awesome on the weekend. They threw him up forward, played a negating role on Doherty, and he was awesome. And I was like, maybe I could have captained St Kilda. <laughs> maybe I could have played over 150 games. I think even with the Bond. Like, because Bont, you know, on the field, he's a bit of a, like a Superman, right? So if he, and I imagine if he like, you know, got a short haircut and had a shave and like really put some effort into presenting, like you'd just be overawed by the fact that he has this incredible physique and this incredible athleticism and he's actually really tall and, you know, all those sort of things. But he realizes if he wants to fit in in the Western suburbs, he's got to go and disguise. He's got to he's got to look like Tom Petrovsky from Comsec has decided to play in the AFL. He needs some long hair. He needs a beard. He needs to blend in and be incognito. What was Bont's look in his first year? Was he like clean cut, short back and sides? You know, yeah. bright eyed, well, much tailed? more so. Yes, early on he was much more clean cut, but he always had a bit of a mop of hair. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's carved out his own look, which. I mean, the Bulldogs had a sort of sexy rebirth after 2016. You know, you win the flag, suddenly sponsors have come rushing in. A lot of attention's going to the western suburbs. A lot of hipsters live out there now. So I think he's kind of a good barometer for where you guys are at now. But you do need... You need that guy... Who is the transitional player between Bob Murphy, who's sort of old school kind of western suburbs, you know, pub rock kind of guy, and then you've got latte sipping, microbrewery, bont, I mean, do you, was there a middle ground? Was there like a transitional? Was Ryan Griffin the transitional player between those two eras of the Bulldogs? I think that it was. I think it's Eastern Wood. I think. I think if you just go in the captaincy lineup, it actually works very well because you got Bob. Right. That was the club. Like Bob was pretty relatable, country boy, you know. But then sort of ventured out into cooler pubs, hanging out with the musicians, writing, you know, articles and books, you know, that were quite well revered in the writing community as well as the football community and then people got a bit nervous that we were losing our roots completely let's get back to port (laughs) melbourne let's get back to albert park we'll get eastern wood he's a guy who could definitely go to the pub with bob but let's be honest he's also just let's get it a little bit more sensible and then you get the opportunity to kind of go to bond after that i think you can't go straight from bob to bond because then people would think that we were just like, what comes after Bond? I just would have thought that Eastern Wood, and just based off the name, it sounds a bit too private school for the Western suburbs. Like I thought maybe, I don't know, is like Daniel Cross a bit more hard-edged? Is he sort of, is he more of a, like a transitional kind of player? And then again, I guess Bob is so far kind of, you know, Bob is so exceptional and different. He's not really the Western suburbs either. He's a version of the Western suburbs just from the, sort of the pub life culture. But I guess, you know, maybe there needs to, we should, what we should be asking was who was a transition between, 
who, who was it brad johnson to bob murphy yeah or was it even before that do you go back even further is it like doug hawkins to brad johnson or is it liber to brad johnson i mean it feels like you guys took a leap from the terry wallace era to the rodney Ede era there was a leap in kind of the culture of your club it changed from the scrappers to a slightly more professional outfit yeah there's a, there was a little remodel but like there's still a lot of scrapper there and i think that you, you started with the right one. Doug Hawkins, I think, is the most relatable bulldog of all time. Because, yes, even though he was a superstar on the field, there was just that essence of he just felt like a man in the street and still to this day feels like a man in the street. And I think that every Bulldogs fan would just like to have a beer with Doug Hawkins. Like, he seems to me... Wasn't there a song... A- or a parody song, having a beer with Dougie or something like that. I'm sure the footy show did some know, kind of parody. I don't know, should be, because it'd be right. People would listen to that <laughs> yeah. song and they'd go, this song is not good, but it is 100% accurate. Um, so you watched much footy over the weekend? I started strong. I watched the first few games of the weekend. So I watched the Saints, who were great, I thought. What did you think of the Saints? Mm. Yes, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. I mean, I... I was thinking about it and I was like, it's just nice to have a game plan that is exciting to watch. You know, win, lose or draw, it's attacking footy. It's, you know, it's still going around the boundary line, but not scared to sort of make that switch into the middle and, and you know, just rush forward. But then I was thinking that you know, maybe, maybe Alan Richardson just had bad timing. Maybe all the recruiting that he oversaw and all the players that he brought into the club have only just started to bear fruit now, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say whether it's uh, uh, just a change in the game plan or a change in outlook or all the new recruits, but it is exciting to watch. I mean, I sort of feel like it'd be the perfect year for the Saints to go all the way when there may be no crowds at the grand final when I wouldn't possibly be able to get there. Like, I'm not talking, I'm not thinking about finals, Will, but I am thinking about finals already. But they are playing exciting brand of football. Like, I watched a lot of football this weekend and I think that what we're playing stacks up against Port Adelaide, stacks up against Brisbane, stacks up against the Cats for sure. So I feel like if we hadn't dropped that North game, that was the one blip. Losing to Collingwood was no um, no embarrassment because uh, that was back when Collingwood was good. But I, I just I just am excited about Ron Marshall and Dan Butler and Jack Billings is actually like kicking straight now and he's becoming that player we all hoped he was going to be and our back line looks really solid and Ben Long is flying for marks and everything about it is exciting. I haven't felt this way in about 10 years about the Saints. If it were just Ben Long, I think you'd be excited because the way that he is playing and you just go, as soon as he starts like really sticking those marks that he is going for, but he's doing a good enough job already. Like, in that forward line, he's definitely playing mm. his role and it's giving you a focal point and, you know, something to bring the... Like, all the reasons and things that you need from a forward, he's giving you regardless. But the other thing is... Hang on. Can, are, you talking, are you talking about Ben Long? Oh, Ben King, sorry. Ben, yeah, yeah. No, well, Max King for a start. Oh, sorry. That's <laughs> why I got King's confused. A sorry, that's why yeah. I got confused. Max King. No, Max, yeah, Max King is very, very exciting. Uh, you know, I tried to sort of like, uh, you know... Take it with a grain of salt because he's so young and he's coming off a knee reconstruction stuff. But geez, some of the things that that guy can do is very, very exciting. I mean, you saw that pass to Dan Butler in the goal square where he sort of reached out one hand, plucked the ball out of the air, then spun around and just like a perfect precision stab pass right into the goal square. It's like, holy shit, like this kid could be anything. Yeah, he's amazing. And um, sorry, Ben Long. Yeah, he took a couple of the best marks you've seen 
on a football field this year. <laughs> he is hard as fucking nails, Ben Long. Yeah. Well, I'm glad because we stole him from the Bulldogs. He was actually playing for the Bulldogs. He's in your reserves and you guys were going to draft him. But I think in a little bit of revenge attack from you stealing Bevo from us, we stole Ben Long for you. But it's awesome because everyone's known that Ben Long has been good. They just couldn't find a position for him. And maybe that's another thing that's happened this year that didn't happen under Richo is players are actually being played in the right position. Like Ron Marshall is being allowed to play out the whole game in the ruck and that's just proving a, a like a huge uh, uptick because he's such a versatile player. And, but also, and ben Long he looks playing. like he fucking loves it. That's what the thing about oh, Ron yeah. Marshall. It's just like... <laughs> He, he just all day long in the ruck, he just feels like how good is footy and how good is playing yeah. footy and I just want to run everywhere and play footy. Like, like He has this enthusiasm about him that's just like, man, you love footy. He did this interview after the game, which I had to rewind and watch because it cracked me up where he was. Like he was so enthusiastic doing his post-game interview, but he talked himself into a corner where he just got so confused with his, like the media talking points that the media manager at the Saints had given him. He stuck to them, but then he talked himself into a corner where he'd completely forgotten what he was saying and so he just stood blankly staring at the camera and smiling it's like oh this kid's adorable he's like someone taught a giraffe how to ruck i love it yeah a cartoon a cartoon giraffe as well because he's got that big grin yeah he's amazing ben long is amazing um yeah so max king sorry yes is amazing but no dan butler he was the one i messaged you about and i didn't want to say anything because i didn't know if you're watching the game live or not so i wasn't yeah because i was so excited i wanted to send you a few messages going how good are the saints but i was like ah i don't know if charlie's watching it live or not so i just sent one message to you which was Dan Butler, like that's got to be recruit of the year, bargain of the year, Dan Butler, doesn't it? He is a super player. Yeah, yeah. And kind of, you can sort of understand why he got, you know, why the Tigers were able to let him go. It's not like they made a huge mistake or anything. They just have a bunch of that kind of player, but it's just a perfect opportunity. And it's also that, that kind of role, that high half forward who can run through the midfield. It's a really difficult role to play, especially if there's competition in your team. But we didn't have that. I mean, the one thing that we were crying out for last year or the past few years is highly skilled players who, you know, with endurance. And that's what he's got is you can just throw him in the midfield. That goal he kicked on the run, he's done that pretty much every week. I think he's kicked about two or three goals each week since we drafted. He could win our best and fairest, which is fucking crazy. Just very, very happy to have him though. It's exactly what you're saying. You can understand why Richmond didn't have a place for him. And in a way, it's been a gift to him as well because he now goes to a place where he can star in that role. But it's just that exact great pick where you're like, he's not going to be your best player. Or, you know, you, like you said, he might win the best of Paris. But, but, he may be. <laughs> but that's kind of not his job in the team. The job is to add that link, yeah. that excitement, that Jeezy picks up pace. That's what the game changes in pace when he gets mm. the ball. It suddenly feels like... It's just been going along at one pace and he gets it. And then suddenly you just skip forward suddenly. And you're just like, what just happened? He just skipped forward in time a little. And it's also he's smart. Like that old term, Will, footy smarts. Like he clearly knows what positions to get into. He makes smart decisions. He did this one pass to Max King at the start of the second quarter where uh, Carlton had flooded the back line. And so he, rather than just sort of blaze away, he saw Max King and was like, well, that guy's six foot six. I'm just going to pop like a high ball, just lob it in the air and allow him to run and jump at it. And he had no, Max King had no separation 
from Liam Jones, but what he does have is an extra like three or four inches. And so it was just really smart. Just we'll put the ball high in the air for the tallest player on the ground to grab. Yeah, it was exciting. Did you watch Rats's pre-game speech that they showed on the telecast? No. It was one of those things where I just love that Rats is still a bit old school. Like it was a real, mm. you know, it was a really, you know, just it was about the brand that they wanted to play. And essentially the theme was that they just, as long as they didn't surrender, they were never going to surrender. They were just going to keep, you know, that what they, they were about and what they were going to do today was, you know, about keep moving the ball, keep taking risks. You know, the way that they actually do play at their best. But he just put it in this way that was like... It, classic old school country coach and the thing that i loved about it the most was and i don't know if this is a common afl coach move or not but you do your inspirational final line and you kind of just turn your head and and like put your head down and walk away as you do the final line and just leave it with the boys i loved everything about it and i was like this is going to be a good game yeah he's uh he's great i love watching his press conferences he has that he has that kind of quality where you feel like he's he's being honest, that he's not talking in cliches. He doesn't have that... I mean, look, he's had a pretty good start to his career at the at the Saints. So we haven't seen the defensive, you know, angry side of Brett Ratton. We haven't seen, you know... Uh, well, apart from round one where we coughed up that lead. But from everyone I've spoken to at the club in my uh, official role as a St Kilda ambassador, <laughs> they love him. They really... They talk about the cult of Brett Ratton, the, the fact that everyone has just bought in. And it's not just the players like he's made a concerted effort to get to know everyone at the club in all departments you know he's got this belief and you know maybe it's his background coming from the you know player at Carlton but also uh, coaching at Hawthorne the family club the idea that you know you win a flag based on bringing everyone into the team and and having everyone invested Uh, I think they're doing a, a really good job especially considering where we are in a financial position and um, we're about to break a membership record, which is crazy for a team that has not played finals in you know over eight years. We're about to break a membership record, and in a pandemic year, in a pandemic, <laughs> which is I think just is is just a testament to how much people are responding to to Brett Ratton. Yeah, it's cool. It's a cool time to be a Saints fan. It's very exciting. Hey, can I ask you a question? As someone yeah. uh, you know who worked with Eddie Maguire for a number of years. Um, with everything that's going on, and there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, what's happening at Collingwood, we don't need to go over each individual case. But I've been interested in this discussion around Eddie's involvement and whether or not it's been a conscious decision to, uh, you know, draw attention away from his players to protect his club, or whether it's more of a, uh, a, a, a byproduct of someone who cannot resist inserting himself into the discussion. Now... Do you have any insight on that? Do you have a take? Because the one thing I will say about all of this is I've, all these people who have been criticizing Eddie or having shots at him, most of them have been doing them on shows that Eddie produces or his company produces or that he owns. And I'm like, well, this is interesting. I mean, if this was a guy who you know really was thin-skinned or, or whatever, would he be shutting this stuff down? Or Just give me, help me understand the man or the personality. What do you think is happening? Well, here's what I can tell people. Uh, for those who don't know, I uh, worked alongside Ed on the Triple M Hot Breakfast Show for like nearly two and a half years. And so I spent, you know, three hours a morning with him in the same studio, you know, for, for most of that time. And I, my honest answer is that I don't know. I don't know what the answer to your, your question is because right. there is he is an incredibly complex person. 
you know, he is someone who, and I don't think this is me speaking out of school because these things are on the public record, has had a series of missteps along the way where he has said or done things that are clearly inappropriate and, you know, certainly things that, you know, are yeah, oppositional to my values and things that I believe. And yet I've also seen the other side of him, which is the incredibly loyal and generous and actually does an incredible amount of things for people behind the scenes that he doesn't look for credit for um, person as well. And I don't think that either of those things is is all of him. I think that all of those things are all of him. It, you know, I think that what you're saying, all of what you said is probably true in that I think that part of it is Eddie has a bit of a policy of, you know, say, for example, with the stuff that happened with Steel Sidebottom at the club and the backlash to that has been that, you know, he said that he was proud of Steel and, you know, that seemed to be the real point where people sort of turned, you know, on Eddie's involvement in this. And my experience of Eddie is he is a person that behind the scenes, if you fucked up, like my my guess is... Steel Sidebottom heard all about it. <laughs> like Steel Sidebottom <laughs> did not have a conversation with Edward Maguire where he was talking about how proud he was of Steel Sidebottom. <laughs> they might have got to that at the end of the conversation, but that's not where it would have started. And that's, it certainly would have gone on a lot of adventures in between. And a few things you thought he would have forgotten about might have come up again in that moment. Uh, but he is then one of those people who, when he goes out publicly, I think that, his first instinct is always to then defend the person publicly, even though he might, you know, be berating them in private. So I think there's that's true. I think that Eddie mm. often on air, again, I'm not talking out of school here, would refer to the Herald Sun as his Facebook page. I think that much <laughs> like... <laughs> Shit. And when you read their comments on the Herald Sun, it's a disturbing thing to have those people as your Facebook page. I think it's actually true, though. Because much like a Facebook page, if Eddie yeah. had a Facebook page, it's kind of updates on things that he's done right, things that he's done wrong. Like if he had a Facebook page, he'd be the sort of guy who, you know, get, gets cancelled every 10th post. You know, someone that you're like <laughs> most of the time, you're like, no, nah, this is good. This person does good content. Hang on. You're not meant to use that word. You're cancelled. <laughs> you know, he's one of those sort of, I think, you know, he uses the media, you know, his radio show, his television shows, his, you know, production company, you know, the fact that people do cover everything that he says and does. He is like an old school Lord Mayor or Town Mayor. You know, mm. there's yes. there's the attitude of like, as long as you're in the news and in control of everything and at the end of the day, I think that his real attitude is he wants everybody to benefit. I, I do genuinely believe that a lot of the time he makes decisions that he thinks are on behalf of everybody, but often they also mm. happen to be on behalf of Eddie. <laughs> So, <laughs> well, so in terms of like self-awareness, yeah, uh, do you think he has, do, do you think he is self-aware? Like I remember, I think this was prior to you doing the radio with him, we were talking about maybe the Adam Goods thing and you sort of speculated, and I think this always fit in my mind, that you saw him a bit like David Brent in the sense that, you know, David Brent saw himself as this chilled out entertainer. Uh, but had no self-awareness to see that when he made a joke or was, you know, trying something that it was having the complete opposite effect, you know. So uh, someone who's not a trained comedian or, you know, has a particularly well-tuned comedic ear tries to drop a, dr drop a joke and it falls flat. Do you think that can be extended to 
like more than just humor he has he has maybe a lack of awareness of how people perceive him or how they perceive the Collingwood Football Club I think again all those things are true in that like he doesn't and he does all at once I think when he gets in trouble most of the time it's not because he has bad intentions because you see if you judge a person by what they do rather than what they say you see that he does incredible work in a whole bunch of marginalized communities but then occasionally he will fuck up and say something that is completely inappropriate, you know, about one of those marginalised communities and undo all that good work that he's doing behind the scenes. One doesn't justify the other. You know, you don't get a free pass mm. on saying stupid things just because you do good things. But there are a lot of people who say all the right things and don't do any of the things behind the scenes. I think mm. all of those things are true. He'll often get himself in trouble because he is just not very self-aware. And then he has a good sense of, yes, okay, now I get what everybody's saying. But I think that there is, like, I guess most really super successful self-made people, because that's what I think, you know, there's still a bit of him that is that boy from Broadie who, you know, had a job at a newspaper. Oh, is he, he was, from Broadie? I, he doesn't I bring had no it up. idea. He doesn't I've like never heard that mentioned up, before. I picked, it, I picked it up off air. He said, <laughs> please don't, he'll be fine with everything else we've said here, but... He said, please do not mention that I'm from Broadmeadows originally. I'm trying to keep it under my hat, <laughs> under my many hats. Um, he, he, he's a guy who likes, I think, being in the middle of the action. And so if you're in the middle right. of the action, you know, you're president of the club, you've got a radio show, you're a voice in town, you're on the competition committee, you, you know, you're in every debate, you've got little enemies all over town, but then at the same time, he, he's got that very professional thing of, you know, Caroline Wilson's gone after Eddie as much as, as you said, Caroline Wilson has gone up and quite often quite rightfully, like, you know, just, mm. you know, in a justified way, but she's gone after him more than anybody else in the football industry, I imagine. And like you said, mm. Eddie Maguire has a show where he sits next to her on that show. Um, he also produces that show, you know, if he didn't, if he didn't allow space for people who were critics of his, he wouldn't have worked with me. Like most, my stick on that show for anyone who listened to it was mostly just hanging shit on Eddie all day long. And he basically employed me. He employed me kind of knowing that I would come in and maybe perhaps not as much shit as I hung on him. He didn't think it was going to be that much. It was probably more shit than he imagined, but it was just so fun. And there was just so much that you could make fun of, but he took it all very well. I said it on the final show. I said, you know, I disagree with him fundamentally on a whole range of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, but, and as a performer though, I never once said anything on that show. And I said some fucking cruel shit. And like after the West Coast stuff, after the grand final, there were mornings where like, he was almost going to snap on air. You know, I was just pushing it too far <laughs> and just rubbing it in too much. And you could just see him about... And, like, it's not being made better because Das fucking loves that shit. So, like, if, like, Eddie's about to go and Das is suddenly, like, engaged and his face is all lit up, so I'm just going more. But that's on air. The minute the it goes off air, he resets, you know. He's very good at... Like, I, I he never once said to me, you, you can't say that or you shouldn't have said that. You know, even when I said some pretty cruel and mean things. So he is an enigma. He is the sort of P.T. Barnum, I think, that 
um, the football industry needs. I think that the football industry will be poorer without that sort of character. The fact that he's mm. the president of Collingwood makes it all the better because they're the sort of club that should have an Eddie Maguire yeah. as their president for like because sometimes you need well, someone to boo. Like I mean, the fact that Eddie goes to the footy yeah. and he's such a turns into speak about being the person you know in the outer. He just turns into the biggest mm. footy fan when he's in the crowd, and he knows he's got to know if he's got like like you said any self awareness that part of that is he gets to have fun, but part of it is if they lose, the joy it gives the opposition supporters <laughs> to see. You know, this guy that they kind of resent and hate and what they can boo him. You can be the villain in that moment. If you didn't, like, think that at least that was part of it, you'd go and sit and watch it in the box and you wouldn't put yourself through that, would you? He kind of knows, yeah. I think, that, you know, sometimes an industry needs a bit of a pantomime villain as well. And I guess he's the yeah. pantomime villain as well. And sometimes it's the actual villain, but, like, you know, I think mostly the pantomime villain. <laughs> Do you think... It's a template for Tony Cochran. Do you think Tony Cochran views himself as Eddie of the North? I mean, if you're talking about the idea that the further you go north, the wacky you have to be. <laughs> you know, and Eddie Maguire didn't even really work in... Eddie's a very Melbourne thing, you know. Even when he went to Sydney to run Channel 9, he was never really accepted in Sydney society because they you know, didn't see him as being a Sydney person. I can't imagine Eddie, mm. you can't have an Eddie on the Gold Coast. You need a Gold Coast version of what an Eddie is. And that's, yeah, that's Tony Cochran. Eddie would hate that. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see the similarities. Like Tony Cochran loves his club, loves the Gold Coast. Like that interview we read from him last year was very illuminating, I thought, in the sense that he's a former Melbourneian who moved to the Gold Coast and resents Melbourneians who think the Gold Coast has nothing to offer. And he boosts his club. And I'm look, I, for one, am really happy for, for Tony Cochran. I want the Gold Coast to do well. I want AFL to do well. I want it to kind of take over the country. You know? And I think that the Matt Rowe thing, I hope it doesn't take people's interest away from the games because they were actually playing really well. Even after he went off, I thought they pushed Geelong right up until the third quarter. And they've got so many good players now and it's funny too because they still have Isaac Rankin to bring into that side and he was the number three draft pick from last year that everyone was like going crazy for wait till you see this kid play and he had the same year as Matt Rowell is going to have this year where he played I think one or two games and got injured pretty much the entire year but when you get those two guys I mean Noah Anderson is the one who is benefiting most from all of this because he's a number two draft pick who's just getting to skate along in the wake and just, you know, learn his craft and play his trade. Hopefully, you know, he doesn't, you know, get, hopefully he doesn't get uh, beaten up or having to take on bigger players now because it doesn't have the physique of Matt Rowe. But I think he would be the one going, this is awesome. Like, I, I, none of the attention's coming to me, yet I get all the benefits. Can I, because all we hear about Noah Anderson is yes. that they're best friends. Matt yeah. Rowe and he are best friends. Are they alike? Podcast Mike, can you see if you can find a Noah Anderson pocket profile? Because I would love to know if the reason they bonded is because they are similar guys or the reason they bonded is because they're complete opposites yeah. and they kind of complete each other. What do you imagine it would be? What's your initial guess on that? I feel like they're Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. I reckon they're similar guys, you know, uh, physically different, but they have the same sensibilities and perspective and maybe even, you know, they came up, grew up in the same area. 
Um, they're not opposites attract. They're not um, like uh, Bradley Cooper and Dave Chappelle. <laughs> I think. Oh, here we go. Oh, we, no pocket profile. No, no pocket profile. Can you just has it, he's, find a Wikipedia entry for him? Just any info on Noah Anderson. We'll, we'll find something. We'll, we'll do a little bit of digging. I'm sure there'll be an article or an interview somewhere. We know his dad's Dean Anderson, former Hawthorne and St. Kilda player. All right, here we go. Draft Central. All right, so Noah Anderson, uh, born 17th of Feb 2001. He was born in Melbourne. He went to Kerry uh, with his future Gold Coast teammate, Matt Rowell, in their teenage years. So they went to the same high school. Um, his father was Dean, AFL Premiership player, 83 games of Hawthorne, 67 for St Kilda. Noah began playing uh, for the Hawthorne Citizens Junior Football Club and made his representative side when he was chosen to represent the under-12 state team. As he progressed through the junior ranks, he was given the opportunity to debut for the Oakley Chargers at 16. He was named in the under-18 All-Australian team. No, no info about what kind of personality he is. Hang on, let's go to the draft profile. Noah Anderson is poised over, along with good mate Matt Rowe. Okay, look, his most defi- his defining characteristic seems to be that he's best mates with Matt Rowe. So that this is just all, this is not to do with does he eat chorizo pasta or vitaweeds. This is just like football, football nous. So his strengths are scoreboard impact, power, strength and size, his kick penetration, his contested wall, uh, ball winning ability, and leadership. Okay, well that's interesting because if maybe he is the Maybe he's the Leonardo to uh, Matt Rowell's raging Raphael, <laughs> to use a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles analogy. I was like, I thought you were going to go into Caprio, and I was like, where is this going? <laughs> no, no. To <laughs> Matt Rowell's Kate Winslet? I don't know what he's talking about. Don't be stupid, Will. Leonardo DiCaprio, I'm talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on this football <laughs> podcast. Uh, no, look, I mean, none of this stuff is going to help us in working out what kind of personality he has. Okay, well, here's what I will say. Can we put out this challenge to the Gold yeah. Coast Suns? You don't, you don't get a lot of coverage in the football media, but here at uh, Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL podcast, I know previously, you know, it has been at least half of this company's position that the entire Gold Coast should be bulldozed <laughs> into the ocean. But I'm softening on that position. Arthur Dent Rao has come along with his bowl of chorizo <laughs> pasta and he's captured my heart. And so... I want to know about yeah. Noah Anderson. Tell me something about Noah Anderson. Where's my pocket profile? By next week, can we have a Gold Coast Suns pocket profile about Noah Anderson? Can we uh, contact the media manager of the Gold Coast and like specifically... You know who the media manager of the Gold Coast Suns is? No, I have no idea. Okay, so this is... It's aggro. <laughs> so... <laughs> okay, here's an interview he did with Ben Waterworth uh, from Fox Footy. Um, this was during okay. their draft year. Okay. So, the headline is naturally competitive. The question from Ben is, are you and Matt sick of each other yet? Noah says, not really, um, but you've been linked together all season. Nah, actually, sometimes. He gets a bit annoying when, he's, when things start to get a bit competitive. That's probably when, he get, when it gets a bit touchy. So, there's a natural competitiveness between you guys. And this is Matt Rowell. Yeah, but it's always in fun spirits. Even when we play we golf against each other and, and backyard cricket, we're pretty competitive. And that translates on the field when we're playing with each other. Ben Waterworth comes in with the the most important question, who wins we golf most of the time? Uh, Noah Anderson claims that he does, and Matt Rowell concedes, yes, he's beaten me head-to-head recently, but I'm on the way up. And backyard cricket, what's the result there? Do we ask about that? Because I would like to know the full results <laughs> of the backyard games they are playing against each other. Sure. 
Sure, Noah Anderson might be dominating the wee golf, but if Rowley's dominating the backyard cricket, that's 50-50 for me. Uh, there's no results backyard cricket. Okay, so uh, Ben Waterworth then asks, on the footy field, you've played a lot of, a lot with each other. Would you have faced off at different times uh, in your younger days? Noah says, in junior days, I was at Hawthorne and Rowley was at Canterbury and we kind of knew each other. We used to play each other all the way up to under 15s. We also played heaps of basketball against each other because our teams were the two top teams in the area and we played in a few grand finals. Matt Rowell chimes in. It was a pretty good level, but they got better the better of us a few times. They weren't they were the standout team and we started teaming up a bit because then we went to school together at Kerry. We played footy there. We played at Bondura together for one year and then the Oakley Chargers. Ever since we've been playing with each other. Okay, so Ben says you've achieved a lot at Kerry and Oakley. Are there any achievements that stand out? Uh, Matt says the premierships have stood out for him. Um He's, win, he's won two. The Kerry footy ground, but that's not so interesting. Ben Waterworth says, I remember talking to former Kerry student Ed Richards about this topic two years ago. He also mentioned how it would taken a while to build up in the Kerry program. Uh, Noah says, we were lucky enough to play with Ed. Uh, he was in year 12 when we were in year 10s. We lost to Haley Rear that year. Um, but that's when they had the King brothers, uh, Aidan Bonar, Brayshaw, Constables. Jesus Christ. Unaki uh, Davis Uniki, is that how you pronounce it? Uniaki, I believe. Uniaki. Um, can I say? Uh, oh, Will, hang on. Being a t- <laughs> being a teenager with the last name Bona has got to be a tough fucking teenage years. A lot of fucking under 15s state rep fucking footy trips where your last name's fucking Bona, where they were not tough times. I just have to drop this image into a without comment. I'm just going to drop this image into uh, our message window, and you tell me. What do you think of this? It's a photo of the two boys together. This is two best mates just hanging out, just in there. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) God. I'm so glad we clicked on this article. We'll describe it for listeners. We can probably put okay. it on the Facebook page for people to see. Yeah, okay. So, um, all right, let's let's start with Noah Anderson because – they both look ridiculous, but I'm going to say that Noah Anderson looks the least ridiculous of the two if we have to rank it. He's gone second in the draft uh, yet again on most ridiculous costume <clears throat> because he is in a full... It looks like actually he's ready for these COVID times. He's he's a guy who's been sent to a Gold Coast Suns training camp during COVID times because he has a hazmat suit on and a helmet. But he is not dressed as someone who is working in a biological lab. He is dressed as Buzz Lightyear from the popular (laughs) Toy Story movies. So he's a full-size Buzz Lightyear in a full-size Buzz Lightyear costume, helmet included. So you can only really see his eyes and his nose. Would not be able to identify Noah Anderson in a lineup after seeing him in what I imagine is this Halloween or birthday party costume that he is wearing. But... To answer the question, are they best buds? Are they two guys who've just been together forever and were happy to be drafted to the Gold Coast together? Yes, they fucking are. Because what is Matty Rao dressed as? Oh, well, he is nothing other than Woody from the popular Toy Story movies. They are Buzz and Woody. And Matt Rao looks like he has come off the set of some 70s gay porn film. Like, he has his 
woody cowboy hat cocked at this ridiculously high angle. It almost looks like he's got like a Willie Mason style afro on top of his red hair. And then he's wearing this like scarf around his neck in a way that is just... If he was leading the Gold Coast Suns Pride Parade, everybody would be like, nice one, Matty Rao. Not only dominating the AFL, but also raising awareness of LGBTQ plus fucking rights. Good on you, Matty Rao. And then the white T-shirt and yellow cow skin... Checked... What's a checked yellow shirt? But then these... Cow skin waistcoat. Cow hide waistcoat lapel. Oh, it's a waistcoat. A cow hide. I mean, (laughs) the detail and effort that has gone into this we've got to go as best friends costume is exquisite. What's more remarkable about this is just reading the article. This is what they wore... To their la- so their last game at high school, the last game at Kerry, this was their Mad Monday outfits. Oh, Mad which Monday, they, of course. Which, but they did it on a Football Saturday night. But I don't, re- I didn't realize junior footy guys did Mad Mondays. I mean, how young do you get to go on Mad Monday these days? Yeah, that's what I want to know. We never did one Mad Monday when I played footy. Also, in this article, Will, it says that um, that was not even their best costume. Yeah, in year ten they went as B one and B two, and then the year after that they went as Marge and Homer Simpson. <laughs> These two guys. <laughs> I gonna smash Mad Monday this year. Like that's my favorite part of the postseason is seeing the Mad Monday costumes. I got a feeling Matt Rowell and Noah Anderson are gonna kill it this year. What is this year's go to couples costume? Like if you're talking um, about like t- uh, Tiger King. Tiger King. It'll be something to do with Tiger King. It'll be he'll one of them will go as the lady with the flowers in her hair and the other one will go as the the other guy from Tiger King. Don't you reckon? Oh no, that's more of a Geelong thing. That's more of a Joel. Geelong tend to do the wacky sort of cross-dressing ones, don't they? Or that could be the sort of thing that, um, you know, at the Bulldogs, somebody goes as Tiger King and then uh, they go, oh, it's amazing you've gone as Tiger King. And it's Bailey Smith and he goes, no, this is just... <laughs> this is just how I look. Sorry, I'm not dressed... I'm like, I haven't gone into my costume yet. It's out the back. Um, okay, so any other... Is there any other info in here? Kim and Kanye. Hey? Donald Trump and Melania. Oh, yeah. I might be too... A bit too... That's a... Too hot button, too political. Maybe they'll avoid that. Um, the rest of this interview is just footy chat. Nothing that interesting, uh, but maybe we can revisit at a later stage. But, Will, we should get to some mail. We've had a lot of people writing into us, which has been great. Uh, if you want to send us an email, you can at twoguys1cupafl at gmail.com. That's the number two, the number one, twoguys1cupafl at gmail.com. Um, we'll start with the pocket profile. This is one that we didn't get to last week. Um, but this Great. is Tom Phillips, and uh, as uh, what did we decide we named this segment? It's called it's uh, Profile Pocket, <laughs> Pro- Profile Pocket, where we read a pocket profile. Pocket Profile Pocket. Okay, this is from um, listener Laura. He said Tom Phillips' pocket profile is pretty hilarious. Uh, okay, so in the tradition of Profile Pocket, I will uh, read the question, and then you can guess the answers. How does that sound? Okay, this is Tom Phillips. Tom Phillips. Now, here's uh, my first question. Yes. Who is Tom Phillips? <laughs> Plays for Collingwood. Brother of Ed. Okay, good. Okay, former Kerry grammar student, I imagine, if his brother went there. Okay, which senior player first took you under their wing? Uh, okay, so he's at the Magpies, senior player, take him under the wing. Pendlebury's too old. It'd be someone who's kind of a middle age. I'll give you a hint. Who physically would it be easiest for them to put a new player under their wing? Oh, Mason Cox. Close, Brody Grundy. Oh, damn. Do you have any pre-game rituals? Yes. Um, 
talk to my lawyer. Uh, that's just a cold <laughs> thing. <laughs> Take some Barocca in case I fall asleep on someone's couch. Uh, his answer is I, 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 clearly it's a it's a euphemism, but I'm not sure what it actually means. Uh, pinning the ears right back. Pinning the ears right back. What does that mean? Podcast Mike, can you look up what pinning the ears back means? <laughs> Go to uh, urbandictionary.com. Are we literally talking about, is this a Collingwood backs against the wall thing? Is there the something right that they do pre-game where they all line up against the wall and they pin their ears to the wall just to remind them that they're best <laughs> when their backs are against the wall? It's a revolutionary training uh, drill they're doing, yes. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, Mike has found something on urbandictionary.com. Pinning their ears back. Uh, it's taken from what a dog does before it attacks. It means to charge or attack with full ferocity. The quarterback is in trouble now with no running game. They have to pass every play. So the defensive line are pinning their ears back and rushing the quarterback. Okay, so he's getting himself psyched up for a big game. Uh, growing up, who was your favorite player? Um, By the way, that's not really just a pregame ritual. That's just something they expect of you as a professional athlete. Like yeah. essentially he said his pregame ritual is getting ready for the game. It's not really. <laughs> uh, okay. The favorite player growing up is an Essendon player who probably fits into that category of player we discussed earlier in the show about, oh, he played 150 games. He seems like an ordinary guy. You'll never guess oh, it. You'll never okay. guess it in a million years. Played for Essendon uh, in the last 15 years. Uh, initials DP. Uh, Dion Prestia. No. <laughs> Damien Peverell. Oh, no, I never would have got that. Yeah. I mean, he did play for Essendon, right? I'm not just getting that wrong. He probably played for the Swans and <laughs> got it wrong. Um, okay. Does your jumper number have any significance? Well, what is his number, I wonder? He's uh, number 21. It does, Will. It has some significance. And I think um, you'll guess it. As a fan of the Now You See It films. Uh, well, actually, no, that's probably, that's that, that's actually misleading. Um, uh, yeah. Blackjack. Yes, there you go. Funniest thing, a f funniest thing a fan has ever said to you over the fence. <laughs> this is funny. Hey, mate, you look like a cane toad. <laughs> he doesn't. He looks a bit like Marcus Bontempelli, I'll be honest with you. He could be Marcus Bontempelli's younger brother. Okay. Um, teammate most likely to become a coach? Uh, Brody Grundy. No. Scott Pendlebury. No. Uh, he's an import. Steel side bottom. He's a guy who we thought his career was over when he arrived, but he has found his place in the Magpies lineup. Uh, Jordan Ruffhead. Chris Mayne. Oh, okay. Teammate most likely to be club president or CEO. And I agree with this pick. Um, son of a legend. Uh, Darcy Moore. Yes. Funniest teammate. Uh, funniest teammate. Um, I wouldn't have, not, not an obvious one. Um, also uh, came from another club. Uh, no, nah, tell me. Will Hoskin Elliott. Okay. Uh, who had the be who had or has the best haircut in AFL history? And he's picked a former player, player close to my heart. Uh, Tony Lockett. Think of the worst haircuts. Robert. Who Harvey. had the worst hair? No, we're close. <laughs> in the noughties. he was a locomotive style player. No, nah, tell me. Fraser Gehrig, G-Train. Oh. Do you have any secret party tricks? Yes. Yes, he does. And it is... Um, what is he? What's he? He can impersonate a cane toad. I don't know. <laughs> what can he do? 
beatboxing and juggling. Oh, okay. Name one celebrity you can't stand. Oh, and he gets a bit political here. Love it. Donald Trump. That's right. At which store would you like to max out your credit card? I don't even know what this store is, but it's a, uh, a famous cinematic uh, mentor. No, don't know. Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> you thought that was a clue. <laughs> famous cinematic mentor was a clue for Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, that's a fucking good clue. What do you expect? What should I have said? I don't know. Something better than that. I think that they, yeah, it's a clothing store, isn't it? <laughs> All right. I don't know. What are three things still left on your bucket list? Now, hang on. It's probably worth revisiting... Was it Matt Rowell or who was the player? No, that's that Swan's player who we've immediately forgotten, which is totally on brand for us. And George his bucket Hewitt. list was to was it go to Hawaii and win a grand final. Two things which are entirely possible. Are these things entirely possible? Um, no. Well, I mean, theoretically, one of them is possible. The second thing is very possible and kind of interesting. And the third one is just hilarious. Okay. So um, he'd like to be an astronaut, go to space. He'll go to Mars. Oh, not bad. Uh, well done, Will Anderson. Give me the clue. Second one is yeah, is um, more of a a, a, a a culturally enlightened pursuit. A lot of people say that, oh, if I had the time, I'd love to blah, blah, blah. Uh, go on a meditation retreat. Learn another language, specifically Swahili. <laughs> Learn another language was my original guess, and I changed my mind last minute. Bad luck. Uh, and the last one is just a humorous joke. Um, he he His bucket list is, and it's too... Um, uh, it's to own an exotic animal. Oh, to own a um, uh, an elephant. No, to buy a monkey and to call him Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, should you really be talk, joking about that stuff at Collingwood at the moment? Doesn't, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it just feels like exactly. dangerous areas, Tom Phillips? Uh, does he have a dog? Uh, no, doesn't have a dog. Yes, he does have a dog. Do you know what breed it is? Uh, a Rottweiler. It's a golden retriever. Do you know what its name is? <laughs> I didn't even think he had a dog. So I don't know what its name is. Its name is it's Fetch. Buster. <laughs> uh, what's the first album he bought? Um, I'll give you the... Well, actually, I'll just give me the band. Who's the band? What's the first album he bought? Foo Fighters. Coldplay, X and Y. What's the first concert he ever attended? Coldplay. That's right, in 2012. He's a big something fan. That you, uh, something about you that we, don't, we, we wouldn't know. And I don't know if this is a legit answer, but this is also in the realm of pets. Uh, that he was raised by wolves. <laughs> he owns a pet octopus called Johnson. That's not true. Do you it's reckon that's true? not true. I reckon he's fucking with us. Favorite holiday destination? Uh, in Australia or overseas? Overseas. Uh, Bali. Philippines. Uh, favorite movie and his name too. Um, one is a comedy. One, I imagine, is, is sort of like a dark comedy. Um, oh, a dark comedy. Uh, Think of the most generic mid 2000s um, comedy. Anchorman. Wedding Crashes. Close. <laughs> What's the other film? Martin, Sc uh, Martin Scorsese. Um, film. No, don't know. Wolf of Wall Street. Oh. Favorite TV series? Well, I think Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street strikes me as one of those ones we might see more regularly if we keep doing pocket corner, pocket profile, pocket, because <laughs> I feel like that one does have a bit of AFL appeal to it. Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, favorite TV series? Uh, his favorite TV series is is it Australian? What? It's Australian. And an ABC, an Australian ABC series for kids, for teens. Uh, for teens, uh, Heartbreak High, <laughs> Blue Water High. Uh, what's his current favorite band or musician? 
um, it's not still Coldplay. Uh, um, uh, 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 no, it's not Coldplay. Um, another cinematic mentor to two time traveling teens. Uh, okay, um, so uh, George Carlin, George, the man George from Brisbane, <laughs> His character um, was called Rufus. He loves Rufus Wainwright. Is that what it is? Well, he just said Rufus. I don't know. I, just, I don't know. No, Rufus. Of, yeah. I don't know. What non-football no, accomplishment are you most proud of? Uh, and this sort of relates back to his desire to speak Swahili, I believe. Um, he's travelled to... Uh, he's travelled... I don't know. Something, something like that. He, he saw lions in the wild. So I assume when he talked about okay. accomplishments, traveling to Africa to see lions in the wild. What's your most... No, he just meant the Brisbane lions. <laughs> he said, we played in Brisbane. Yeah. Saw the lions live. <laughs> your most embarrassing childhood memory. And this is so not his most embarrassing childhood memory. He's given the most generic... It's not even... An, this is not embarrassing in the, it's in the slightest. It's a thing that happens. Falling over in the driveway. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah. It's the worst thing that happened in his entire teenage years. I'm guessing something much more humiliating happened. He's bearing it. Uh, your best Yeah, child- well, that, that's what the Collingwood Football Club media release said. He fell over <laughs> in the driveway. But we all know there's often a story behind the story, isn't there? Your best childhood memory? Again, generic. Uh, winning, winning a footy grand final, age uh, 13. Being down the peninsula with family and friends. And who would you swap places with for one day? It's a movie star. That every woman loves, and some uh, men, I imagine. It would be um, a movie star that every woman loves. Uh, the Rock. Is it The Rock? No. <laughs> is it a Ryan Gosling? There you go, Ryan Gosling. Um, this is from Tom. Hey, Will and Charlie. Uh, I love the pod. Listening to the Five Cunnington fan fiction has inspired me to contribute to the expanding cinematic universe. I hope you enjoy AFL Civil War. Here it goes. <clears throat> I feel like awesome. podcast, Mike, maybe you want to put some music behind this or something. Is there some like movie music, you know, license free that you can put behind this? Brad Scott, former North Melbourne coach and father figure to Ben Cunnington, is currently working for the AFL in some made-up role concerning the greater good of the game. In his role... Scott has been struggling to rein in former Fremantle coach and Nat 5 mentor Ross Lyon, who's been narking on football clubs and coaches in the media. Brad decides to enforce a treaty on past and current coaches to uphold a level of trust and integrity. He calls this legislation the Scott Accords. The AFL landscape immediately celebrates these accords, but mistakenly attributes all the credit to Chris Scott. Brad calls in a favour from Ben Cunnington to strong-arm the coaches into signing the accords. He texts Cunnington to ask for his help. Naturally, Cunnington accepts, but his Nokia 3310 doesn't get the part of the message not to punch anyone in the guts behind the scenes, which is Cunnington's primary negotiating tactic. Word spreads of Brad Scott's enforcer collecting signatures around the country. Ross Lyon is starting to run out of options. He calls in his champion, Nat Fife, to defend him. Fife, who's just returned from Paris Fashion Week and has no knowledge of the chaos unfolding in the coaching fraternity, leaps to Lyon's defence. The two sides stand off on the field of Marvel Stadium. Roof open, much to Scott's dismay. Ben Cunnington goes against the advice of North, the North playing group and injects the Shinbona spirit directly into his bloodstream and transforms into a blue Hulk-like monster with a tail and a pouch. Nat Fife, rocking the golden Asgardian hair and cape from Paris Fashion Week, swings his Brownlow medals like a heroic battle hammer. Thus the Civil War begins. After dueling for hours and attracting a huge crowd, the battle battle reaches a tragic end when Chris Fagan is accidentally struck down and hospitalised. 
Nat Fife and Ben Cunnington agree to cease the violence. Ross Lyon goes into hiding, replaced in the media by the relatively unknown moustache-wearing Loss Ryan. Using behind-the-goals vision of the battle, the AFL suspends Cunnington for three weeks. Fife gets reprimanded. There's a footnote about the Chris Fagan note. Chris Fagan was at Marvel Stadium to meet his old friend Alistair Clarkson, who'd offered to trade a fourth-round draft pick for Lockie Neal. Can't t- wait to see what this dynamic duo gets up to next. Cheers, guys. Go Lions. Brilliant. That was awesome, Finn. Thank you so much. Oh, no, that wasn't Finn. That was Tom. Sorry. Our next letter is from Jimmy. Hey there, Kapparoos. First time, short time. My first episode listening to you lads had the enthralling profile on Ben Cunnington. Truly, truly marvellous stuff. While watching the first half of the Bulldogs-Kangaroos game, I saw the segment Channel 7 were having where they have young kids um, interview the players in their own pint-sized press conference. During said presser, Jack Zebel was asked if he was the best fisherman in the AFL. He humbly passed off the opportunity to brag and instead said that Ben Cunnington is indeed the best fisherman in the AFL. And I quote, He doesn't talk to many people, but you get him on the boat and he won't stop talking. So my question is, what do you think the main topic of conversation put forth by Cunners is while on the fishing boat? Thanks, lads. Jimmy. More fishing, I reckon. <laughs> How good's this? That's what he talks about. I can't imagine that he's suddenly taking the opportunity when he's in his happy place to suddenly just discuss general world politics. <laughs> so what do you think of the decline of America? Do you think it's to do with exceptionalism or do you think this is just the natural decline of any empire? I just didn't think it really happened this fast when it happened. And there are so many complexities about the system in which we lit Ben shut the fuck up and fish <laughs> Brad writes in hey Will and Charlie I am a social distancing mask wearing American and Geelong supporter I love the podcast and I just wanted to write in and say that even though the restrictions are still in place over here and fans are still not allowed in the stadiums and it's hard as a follower of the AFL from a land hip deep with morons I'm so grateful that the Australian people in the AFL are doing the right thing and finding a way to keep people safe while letting us enjoy the game we love I'm very concerned that due to our stunning lack of leadership and unity in our own uh, in unity, our own sports will be negatively impacted, maybe even to the point of missing out. Not to mention the human toll we are suffering because of our own blind buffoonery. I also want to say thank you to the players for showing a united front in support of equality and justice in the wake of the extrajudicial murder of George Floyd. Though progress may be happening in our country, there are still a great many people who have their heads up their ass. I wish they could see the dozens of peroxided-headed young men on the other side of the world <laughs> kneeling together to show that the time is right for things to change. I wouldn't tip that. I mean, I think when you're sort of what the George Floyd protests are celebrating, to then show a bunch of guys with like peroxided hair, I don't know that that's the best image to associate with that protest. Especially uh, the Collingwood peroxided hair. <laughs> There's a real look about those prison bar jumpers and that peroxide blonde hair that probably just would send the wrong message. I would be completely pleased with your whole continent if Charlie hadn't, in a fit of sour grapes that he left St Kilda, had Jack Stevens stabbed and performed a voodoo curse on him, preventing him from completing a routine handball for two matches. It took the combined power of Joel Seld and Gary Ablett 650 games to break Charlie's vile dark magic and to get Jack a goal. Okay, so I can't prove that Charlie did it, but I also can't prove that he wasn't somehow involved, especially with the curse thing. So, to recap, thanks for taking the coronavirus seriously enough, even though it's hard. Thanks for supporting racial justice better than a country whose founding documents include the phrase, all men are created equal. And I guess I'm willing to forgive Charlie for using his warlock powers against our new cat if he'll direct it at Brisbane this week. Thanks. Um, I didn't put any curse on, on Jack Stephen. I'm very happy that Jack has found his place at Geelong. 
uh, played pretty well on the weekend, I thought. He still, like Jake Stringer, has that country footballer body. But I think if it means he's a happier person, then we should just let him have that that body, don't you reckon? I agree with that. And um, yeah, absolutely. And I, look, you know what I love is that we have probably got a bit slack here in Australia around the COVID thing. So it's yeah. worth reminding us that we need to try a bit harder. Somebody asked me the other day if I wanted to go to the footy because the Bulldogs obviously playing in Queensland and I can go to Queensland from where I live and you're allowed to go to the footy. But I was just like, I just don't think that's still socially responsible. Like I'm not judging people who do go and just be safe if you're going. But I think in general in society, we've got to remember we're not through this shit. And if we want the rest of the season to happen, just from a purely football point of view, if we want the rest of the season to happen, we have to be careful about not getting everything shut back down again. I agree. Uh, time to look to the games coming up this weekend. Uh, right. Okay. So uh, Thursday, it all kicks off with the Cats taking on the Lions at the SCG. Uh, Geelong coming off a good win over the Gold Coast. Brisbane Lions firming as flag favourites now that uh, Collingwood have dropped off a bit. Should be a good game. Third versus second. Will, what is your tip? I mean, I like Brisbane. I think Brisbane are looking really good. And I would love this. I mean, if this was Dennis Pagan's year... I think that it would just be Chris great Pagan, for... Dennis Fagan. Oh, sorry, you're Dennis Fagan. Uh, Chris Dennis... Pagan, Chris Pagan, Chris Dennis Pagan. Fagan. Whatever his name is, Old Gill. Yeah. If Old Gill, <laughs> no, I mean, of course, I know his name is Chris Pagan, and so, <laughs> so if Old Old Jerry Fagan um, and his bunch of kids from Harbin <laughs> Brizzy, his bunch of pickpockets, I just. Love it. I love him. I think he is like, he seems like a fantastic coach. Clearly the boys love him. I love his press conferences. I love the way he coaches on the boundary line. I love the way they play football. It's super exciting. Um, yeah. I, if, if it ended up being the year that just Brisbane rolls through everything, you know, they might end up playing a whole bunch of games at home. Fuck the grand final might be in Brisbane. Who knows mm. at this point, that would be actually a fun little story if it went that way this season. I wouldn't have resentment about wouldn't that. Wouldn't it be amazing? All the jokes have made about the Q clash. Imagine if the grand final is between Brisbane and the Gold Coast. I mean, imagine <laughs> if the grand final was a Q clash. That would be... <laughs> that, then we would know this was the, end the of greatest time. season of all. <laughs> that The Q clash was actually also the grand final. On Friday night, the Magpies uh, take on Hawthorne. Uh, this is uh, ninth versus 10th. This is actually quite a close round of football. Um, who do you like in this game, Will? The, how close are Collingwood's backs to the wall? Pretty close now, right? Lost to the Bombers. I thought they were. I thought the backs were right against the wall last week, but clearly they had so much more space between them and the wall than I realised. And a lot of that space has been quickly covered mm. in the last few days. So I'm going to say... They are definitely backs against the wall. Yeah, so it's Collingwood for you? Yeah, Collingwood for me. Uh, Collingwood for me as well. Uh, did we, I don't know if we tipped that first game. I'm going to say Brisbane uh, uh, in the first game. Brisbane for me too. Okay, so we're in we're in a lockstep. Okay, on Saturday, uh, the early game, the Fremantle Dockers take on the Saints at Metricon Stadium. Uh, Frio coming off a win. Saints in red-hot form. Traditionally, this is the game that we would drop. And you go, well, it all means nothing if you've beaten Richmond and Carlton and then lose to Frio. Um, but I don't know. I feel like this is a different Saints outfit. It's going to be a good challenge. The boys are in the hub up at Noosa. 
they look like they're having a good time. Um, I w- but Frio's been up there for a while, so who knows? Who knows? I don't. I haven't seen any Frio games this year, so I don't even. I don't even know how they're traveling. Even at the best of times, I don't really know how Frio's traveling. Is Nat Five back? I know he hurt his hamstring, but he's, 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 so he's going to be out. No Nat Five, no Frio. I'm picking the Saints. Yeah, I think the Saints. I think the Saints are good, and I hope that. I really hope that they are good because it'd be a good season if St Kilda mm. are good. They're playing the right sides. They're playing the style of football that you would like to see teams rewarded for. And that's the nice thing about Brisbane and the Saints and a few of those teams that are going well. They're playing the most entertaining football as well, which, yeah, it's it's cool. Okay, the later game that afternoon is the Battle of the Birds. Eagles taking on the Crows. 15th versus 18th, my goodness. Uh, mm. This is at the Gabba. Eagles found their mojo. Gee, did you, I watched that Eagles game against the Swans last week. Nick Nat. Absolute clinic. My God. Like, I've never really understood ruck craft. Like, I don't really, you know, I, I understand that people sort of rave about, you know, Brody Grundy or even, you know, Polly Farmer, what he did for rucking, but I've never quite understood what you're talking about. But then I watched that game and he put it everywhere. Like, it was, it was, it was an instructional video on how to be a ruckman. Like, he would flick it back, he would drop it down, he would grab the ball out of the ruck. It was an absolute clinic. It was so good to see him playing well. I mean, it would be interesting to see how, you know, him do that against a team that actually had a Ruckman. Yeah. Because <laughs> essentially, it was a great demonstration of everything that Nick Nat could do. But basically, he was playing against, it, like, it was the Harlem Globetrotters. And, and, like, fucking Sydney were the Washington Generals. It was their role just yeah. to make him look good. I think it's 39 hitouts he had for the game. Insane. Okay. Um, Eagles versus, and then the Crows. We haven't even talked about the collective minds. I think, I feel like every. Every podcast and, and show has talked about that Collective Minds, Sam McClure's article about Collective Minds. And it's pretty much, I mean, it was bad, but it was not nothing that you hadn't already sort of heard through the grapevine or, or suspected. Just a disaster, though. Yeah, here's what I will say. A lot of the things that were in that article were things that we heard through the grapevine, right? It actually was most of the things mm. you've heard through the grapevine. There's only a couple of things we'd heard through the grapevine that weren't in that article. One was that perhaps they'd been tied to a tree and had to hold each other's genitals. I still believe that's the fucking Snyder cut. That's what I want to say to Sam McClure. Release the fucking Snyder cut of this interview where they talked about the fact that they had to hold each other's dicks. Because if all the other stuff was true, there is a possibility that that was also true. Um, I'm picking the Eagles in this game. Uh, I am also just because the Crows are terrible. Uh, later on that day, the Demons take on the Suns, also in Queensland. Melbourne, who just can't really get it together this year. And I feel bad. I feel bad for Melbourne again. It happened quick. I was resenting them when they were good, but now I'm just back to feeling sorry for them. I just don't understand what to do with this club. Like, where are they at? I mean, did they draft incorrectly? Did they get ahead of themselves? What's going on? I, I got so much joy last season out of celebrating their misery. But now it's not funny anymore. No. It's just sad and disappointing. Yeah. And it it doesn't yeah. make me it makes me feel unhappy for the club and for like the it supporters. makes me feel unhappy for the supporters and yeah, they they I don't know why they're as bad as they are cuz it just doesn't make sense on paper that they are as bad as they are. Like you look at their team and you still think no, no, no. They'll get it together. They'll turn it all around. And maybe they still will. But fuck, man. Like, they better soon because they're terrible at the moment. And when you've even lost, you know you're going badly when it stopped being fun for me. 
If I can't get joy out of <laughs> Melbourne being terrible, then they really truly are to be pitied. Uh, it's hard to pick though. I don't know. The Suns trying to cope without Matt Rao, but it is back yeah. in Queensland. Melbourne have to win. It's a it's a must win game. That's your pre match address if you sign a good win. Is if you don't win this, you might as well just pack up the whole season. So I'm going to pick Melbourne because I think there's more on the line for them, and this will be a true test of their fortitude. And I'm going to say more like Simon a good loss. Uh, because I'm going to say that the Gold Coast Suns are going to win. Uh, Saturday night, the Bombers take on uh, North Melbourne, uh, probably without Ben Cunnington, judging by how injured he was last week. Resurgent Bombers, who actually have sort of... They should put a little note on Ben Cunnington's locker that just says, gone fishing. Yeah. And they should send him out, get him on the boat, and just let him recover. Well, I think what they should do, Will, is now they're not going to be playing footy for a while, and there's, you know, uh, COVID restrictions on imports and, and you know, a lo- lot of people are doing it tough. They should give him, like, a, a send him out into the bush with, like, a pickaxe and a little helmet and get him digging. Because you know what lies beneath the surface of uh, Australian soil, especially when you go deep into the heartland. You dig and you dig and you dig and you hit upon a rich vein. A Shinvona spirit, fresh from the source will. He's got to gather it up. He's got to seal it in a container. He's got to drive it back to Arden Street and he's got to pass it around and say, boys, have a whiff. We got to get back in the winning ledger and there's only one thing to do it and that's Shinvona spirit. (laughs) Had a special request during the week by a listener who said they will stop listening if I ever stop doing the Shinbonu Spirit bit. So that's my commitment for the rest of the year. Every episode, you'll get a little Shinbonu Spirit bit. I, I'm in favour of it. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. What was the game we were trying to pick? Essendon versus the Kangaroos. Bombers for me. Um, I think that the Essendon are not a bad team. I think they're going to miss Stringer a lot, though. He was really important to them. But yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say the Bombers as well. On Sunday, Port Adelaide and the Giants kick off proceedings. Uh, probably the most evenly matched teams. Uh, Port Adelaide, bit disappointing, so they've got a lot to prove. Giants just cruising along. I don't know. I'm going to pick Port Adelaide in this game. I just feel like maybe they were on a path and that last week was a blip. Uh, Giants are just trucking along fine. Gee, they look good, though, the Giants. When you've got two forwards kicking four goals apiece and then that midfield... It's hard to find flaws with them, but I just feel like Port Adelaide maybe have more to prove. It might be recency bias. I didn't see the Port Adelaide game, though, but I watched that Giants game and Jeremy Cameron up the field I liked a lot. Like, you know, he looks good up there and his delivery into that forward 50 is fantastic. And now that they've got those, like, I mean, the Bulldogs were so lucky in that they were missing, like, those three gun runners in the middle because now that they've got them back, they suddenly just look really sharp again i don't know i'm gonna say i'm gonna say gws it's also worth noting too uh it's a couple of weeks ago now but when the giants played collingwood um they kept cutting to the stands where there's a small group of supporters there um and one of the people there was steve war and sitting next to steve war was two guys one cup alumni alex williams <laughs> cheering with his beanie on in the background i was like oh isn't that great and then in the, the game they cut back and there's alex and steve war shaking hands i was like good on you I'm glad that someone from our show has, uh, you know, met a cricket legend in the stands. I, I remember that shot also because Steve Waugh had two packets of chips in front of him. 
and I couldn't see if there was anyone else near him, like if they'd just gone somewhere or whether he was like former Australian cricket champion Steve Waugh was eating two different bags of chips at the same time. I loved it either way. Uh, the Tigers take on the Swans uh, up at the Gabba as well. Resurgent Richmond, they look like they got their mojo back. And it's funny, last week we said it's going to be a tune-up game against Melbourne. Looks like we're entirely correct. Swans, just going this year. Yeah, but no Hooley, no Edwards. Yeah. Neither of no them Prestia. are travelling with the team because of family reasons. No Nankervis. So it evens it up a bit. But I'm going to say the Tigers too. I think there's been a lot of criticism this week. Kane Corn said that the Tigers couldn't um, win the Premiership and that's the sort of thing that gets the Tigers angry and focused on Well, how was last night's episode of AFL 360, where Jared Waitley uses uh, our copyrighted term, Richmondy. He asked Jack Revolt about their performances being Richmondy, and then Jack Revolt said that Damien Hardwick brought up the word Richmondy in one of their team meetings. It may be our lasting contribution to the game. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) It may be all this podcast has really left as a lasting legacy to the game is the word Richmondy. But yes, it's become part of the popular football vernacular. The last game of the round is the Blues taking on the Bulldogs. Um, very disappointing last week against the Saints. That was the first game I've seen the Bulldog, uh, the Blues play, and I wasn't impressed. I didn't think they looked very good at all. Um, all you have to do is send a uh, uh, someone to play on uh, Sam uh, Doherty and uh, 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 and uh, tag Patrick Cripps, and they look kind of impotent. Um, but you know what? I'm going to pick them against the Bulldogs, and that's my. Luck of the week. It kind of feels like Carlton might be that sort of team. Like if Casbolt kicks straight instead of out on the full every uh, kick, you know, he, he just had one of those weeks where he couldn't kick it anywhere near the goals. And then, you know, maybe he comes back this week and he has a week where he does. And I think that Doherty and Cripps will be like, they'll feel pretty embarrassed about, I think, what happened last weekend, to be honest. So I can imagine them coming back strong. We've got a few injuries at the Bulldogs, but Josh Bruce, that was great. Like, you know, it was he had was awesome. the forward line to himself a bit more and he played, you know, you suddenly were like, oh, yeah, I can see how this would work. I mean, the I Bulldogs think... are looking looking sharp despite, you know, being a few players down and a few key injuries. So that's... that's I actually think that's when Josh Bruce plays his best football is when he's the main man because the Saints did sort of play him as a second forward for a bit and he tends, I don't know, when he plays like that, all he tends to do is kind of be a decoy and crash packs and stuff. But he's quite reliable when you actually use him as the main target up forward. Just be prepared for him occasionally missing a shot from directly out dead in front. So <laughs> dead in front, uh, straight out in front of goal. It, it's, it, it makes it really interesting that if, if, if we ended up playing, um, you know, with this style, with him down the forward line and it was really effective, it'd be interesting to see if Norton came back and he ended up like, you know, playing more as a sort of centre-half forward, you know, centre-half back kind of, you know, big man around that middle, which I think he'd be actually really excellent at. And he's got, like Jeremy Cameron style, he's got that great delivery as well. Like, I, it, it, it was very yeah. promising. It'd be great if he could keep doing that. I'd be into that. <laughs> so you're tipping the Bulldogs this week? Yeah, I'm going to tip the Bulldogs. And that's the show for this week. Uh, probably worth mentioning, if you want to support our show, because we don't have a sponsor this year, obviously, with everything that's going on, but we do have a Patreon page for our other podcast, Tofop, which sort of encompasses all the shows we do, because it's not just Two Guys, One Cup. There's Tofop, which is kind of like this, but less footy talk, or probably more footy talk, really. Uh, there's Willosophy, which is Will's serious interview show. There's Fofop, which is kind of like Tofop or this show, but it's Will talking to other comedians. We have a bunch of stuff you can check out, and if you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Tofop. There's a bunch of bonus content up there, videos of Will and I talking, there's photos, comic books, all this kind of stuff. So maybe just check it out. 
Um, otherwise, uh, I don't know. What, how else can you support the show? Just uh, we don't really have any other avenue to support us. Just uh, good thoughts, <laughs> good good thoughts and good vibes. Play on, not fifteen. Ball. We are two guys, one 